Well, good morning, church. We get to gather together. We get to worship the Lord. Friends, that is something to be excited about. So I hope you're excited. Uh, I am. Uh, but if you are new, highly, highly encourage you to text the word welcome to the number on the screen. 406-219-0314. Uh, whether you're new here in the auditorium, whether you are new watching online, uh, oh, and I'm glad that you're joining us. My name is Pastor Adam. Uh, but I highly, highly encourage you to text the word welcome to that number. Uh, it's a, you follow the prompts, and it's a great tool to, one, build relationships here, but also to stay involved, stay connected with what is happening here at LifePoint. And something that is happening here at LifePoint is life groups. Life groups are right around the corner. Life groups are going to be launching the week of March 10th. Uh, and if you don't know what a life group is, let me give you just the cliff notes of it. Uh, a life group is a home small group. They meet for nine weeks. They're going to serve together. They're going to have fun together. Uh, they build relationships. That's a focus of life groups is building relationships with one another. You know, as Christ followers, we build a relationship with God and we build a relationship with one another. Uh, and this is where life groups get to come in. You get to know people on a deeper level more than just, you know, a Sunday morning conversation. Uh, but another thing that a life group intends to do is apply scripture. So they are sermon-based small groups. That means what is preached on Sunday morning is going to be the topic of conversation for the life group. And they're going to ask questions about it. They're going to dissect it. They're going to dive deeper into uh, the sermon that was preached. And the emphasis isn't on getting more head knowledge. It's not just knowing more about something. The emphasis is on application of it. You know, how do we go from hearing a sermon preached Sunday morning to living one out? Uh, because we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers of it. Um, and lastly, they pray and they care for one another. You know, I, you'll hear me say this all the time. Prayer is powerful. Uh, and a life group gets to pray and care for one another. Uh, you get to pray for others. They get to pray for you. It's a great place to, to build relationships, to grow deeper as the body of Christ. Uh, so if you are interested in joining a life group, you can go to lifepointmt.org slash lifegroups. Uh, right now, you'll see a bunch of different groups, different times, different places, different days, different uh, leaders. Uh, you can find a group that fits your schedule. And uh, let me tell you, friend, if you're not involved in a life group, you are going to be missing out. Uh, so I highly encourage you to sign up for a life group for this spring season. And lastly, February 27th, right here in the auditorium, we are having a welcome party. So if you're new or you haven't been to a welcome party, like, let me tell you, you, you got to go. Um, it's a time that we get to, you know, kick the tire. You get to meet the pastors. You get to meet some of the staff. We get to have dinner together. You get to ask questions. We get to, you get to hear more about LifePoint, who we are, our philosophy of ministry, why we do what we do, what we view as important. Um, you get to ask a bunch of questions and, and see if you want to make LifePoint home. Um, so highly encourage you, if you haven't been to a welcome party, sign up for one. You can sign up at lifepointmt.org slash events. But if you got your Bibles, open them up to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Today, we are continuing our series uh, in the book of Acts, coming into another chapter. Um, and real quick, while you're on your way to Acts, chapter 2, what is happening right now in the story? Uh, so Jesus, after his death and his resurrection, he appeared to his disciples for 40 days. And he gave them a promise and a purpose a promise, and a mission. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. He's like, wait in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit's going to give you power for this mission that lies ahead. And the mission is to be his witnesses 
in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that promise and that purpose, it, it carries on to us today as Christ followers. And something that we saw at the very early, early part of the book of Acts, in this first week of the early church, something that we saw, and we explored it last week, was their unity. That this church, they were united. It says that they were one in mind. And Jesus gave this purpose and this uh, promise and then ascends into heaven. And from the time Jesus ascends into heaven to where we're picking up today is probably about 10 days. He tells them, wait for the Holy Spirit um, and then ascends into heaven. Uh, so as we are coming into Acts chapter 2, we are coming into the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes and fills the believers. Like we're going to see the same apostles, but we are going to see very different apostles, boldened by the Holy Spirit. Now, when it comes to the function of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian, uh, Christians are really all over the board here. Because from, from Scripture, there is a legitimate filling and power from the Holy Spirit that comes to a believer from the moment of salvation, that the Holy Spirit will make his dwelling with you. And the Spirit equips a believer and teaches a believer and guides the believer, empowers the believer. You know, you don't have to be flailing around to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some who will take this to an extreme where they would say, if you don't, you know, fill in the blank. Let's say you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. I would say that is 100% biblically wrong. You know, the function of the Holy Spirit that Christ has promised to the believers is, is one, it empowers the believer, but the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. This is exactly what Jesus says. In the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 14, this is what Jesus says. He will glorify me, the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christ follower is not to make much of himself, but to make much of Jesus. And there are many who get obsessed with the byproducts of the Holy Spirit. That they want, they want miracles more than they want Christ. Now let me tell you, friend, miracles won't sustain you. Miracles won't sustain your faith. Like Israel, Israel walked through a sea on dry ground. God literally held back water so that a nation could walk through this sea on dry ground. Like they saw this. Everyone in this nation saw this. They walked through a sea on dry ground because the Egyptian army was in pursuit. And they make it to the other side and God brings the waters back in on this pursuing army. And Israel is on the other side of this sea that they just crossed on dry ground. And they sing, you know, hallelujah, praise God. And then not too long after, they make a golden calf to worship. Your miracles won't sustain your faith. Like as a Christ follower, we shouldn't just be seeking wonders and signs and miss seeking Christ. See, throughout the book of Acts, it is filled with incredible things. It's filled with incredible things through the Holy Spirit. We'll see miracles. We'll see healing. We see tongues. We see wonders and signs, but friend, that is not the point of the book of Acts. We covered this previously in, in this series, but the book of Acts, the reason Luke wrote this was so that we may know what has happened because we are to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That this Holy Spirit 
was given to the believer for the mission that Christ has called us to. This is exactly what Jesus says in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is what Jesus says. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So as a Christ follower, we are governed by the Holy Spirit, and he leads us into submission to Christ and what Christ has called us to do. He leads us into the reality that Jesus is Lord. So, so as a Christ follower, there are things that you do because Jesus is Lord. Things that you won't do. Things that you think. Things that you say because Jesus is Lord. So the Holy Spirit empowers your life, guides your life, and your life should look different. You know, people ask, you know, how, how do I know what the, the Holy Spirit's been doing in my life? Or if he is working in my life? I would say, take a look at your life before you came to know Christ and take a look at your life today. It should look different. It should look different. Why? Because the Spirit changes you. The Spirit will empower you. And this is the bottom line this morning. This is something that we're going to see in the book of Acts, really through the rest of the book of Acts, and something that we should be seeing today is the bottom line, that the Holy Spirit empowers you. You know, because throughout the book of Acts, we are going to see wonders, we're going to see signs, and we're going to address them as we get to them, biblically. We're going to see what is happening biblically. And a lot of the times, you know, when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, if you grew up in church, a lot of the times, that is the lens, how your church taught it, that's the lens of how you view everything. But today, I, I want to I take a step back. And let's view it through the lens of Scripture, this, this intervention of the Holy Spirit. Um, let's look at it biblically. So I hope by now you are in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be starting at verse 1. This is what it says. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Will you join me as we open up this morning in prayer? Father, we are grateful for today. We are grateful for your goodness, your love, your grace that we get to rejoice in. Well, we're grateful that we have the ability to freely gather here today, worship you, and Lord, I pray today as we explore Acts chapter 2, or at least the beginning of it, Lord, I pray that we get to see the power of the Holy Spirit at work at Pentecost, but Lord, I pray that we also see the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And Lord, I pray today as we open up your word and you allow me to speak, as you give me breath to speak, I pray that you give me the words to speak. And Lord, do not let me say anything that you do not want me to say. And Lord, we pray that your presence shapes our life and changes our life and guides our life. Lord, I pray that our lives bring you glory and honor. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we are coming into the day of Pentecost. And you'll see at the very, very first verse that it was the day of Pentecost, but 
notice what it also says. It says that they were all together. They were all together in one place. You know, this is something we talked about last week, that this unity amongst the believers and the importance of unity for the mission that Christ has called us to do. So here at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we see it once again, that they are still together in, in unity in one place. And it says that it was the day of Pentecost. So what is, what is that? What is the day of Pentecost? So Pentecost literally means 50th. So it is 50 days after Passover. Um, it's also known as the Festival of Weeks. So you have, you know, seven days in a week. So seven weeks, you get 49. 50th day is Pentecost. Um, that's why it's called the Festival of Weeks. Um, but something that Pentecost was, it was a time of, of thanksgiving. It was a time of celebration. And Jewish people from all over the empire would come and gather in Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. It was, a, it was also known as the Day of the First Fruits. Because the first sheaf of grain was presented to the Lord at Passover and the first fruits of the harvest were presented to the Lord at Pentecost. And if you're familiar with the book of Acts, uh, the harvest is ripe at Pentecost. So the day of Pentecost has come. These disciples, they're, they're still waiting. Remember this promise that Jesus has given them. This promise that they will be filled with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will give you power for this mission. Just wait. And they waited. They waited in unity with full assurance that the promise of God would be fulfilled. And look what happens in verse 2. It says, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So as they're, as they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, they heard something. Something pretty radical, that they heard something. It was It was audible a powerful, violent wind, the sound of it filled the place that they were sitting. Now, wind, throughout the Bible, wind has really great significance and meaning. It was the wind who, or it was the Lord spoke to Job through a whirlwind. If you've read the encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, you'll find something very interesting there too. So in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, he, he was a Pharisee, and he comes to Jesus at, at night. You know, he doesn't want anyone to see him. And he has all these questions. He's like, I know you're someone. He has all these questions. And Jesus tells him that you must be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't, doesn't quite get it. And Jesus tells him that unless you are born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And the word for spirit here that Jesus uses in, in the Greek language is pneuma. And pneuma can be translated as spirit, as wind, as breath. So Nicodemus, he still doesn't get it. And in verse 7 of John chapter 3, this is something Jesus says. He says, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You know, if you just first read that, you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but here, Jesus used the same word for wind and spirit, pneuma. And after this, even Nicodemus, he still wasn't too sure. 
You know, the same meaning is also found in the Hebrew language with the word ruah. means breath. means spirit. That God picked up dirt. He breathed his ruah into it. So from the very beginning, this, this breath spirit is always associated with bringing new life. So when we come to what is happening in this room with these disciples, they hear this sound of a violent wind from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were in. You know, these disciples, they've been waiting. It's only been 10 days, but I mean, to them, it probably felt like an eternity. Now the promise of God is being fulfilled. That they hear this sound, and in verse 3, look what it says. It says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So they heard something, and they saw something. They saw tongues of fire, and it came to rest on each of them. And just as this wind, the sound of wind, had great significance, so does fire. You know, fire illuminates and it comforts. I mean, the Holy Spirit does the same thing. In the life of a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit illuminates and comforts. You know, fire, throughout the Old Testament, it has always been a sign of God's presence. Uh, you know, for, for an example, in, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses was a shepherd, and he, you know, tending a flock, and he comes across a bush that is on fire. God speaks to him from this bush. The bush doesn't burn up, and it changes the course of history. I mean, I mean we, we, we see it in Exodus chapter 19 when Israel made their way to Mount Sinai. It was covered in smoke. Why? Because the Lord descended on it in fire. When the Lord was leading Israel through the wilderness, he led them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get thrown into a fiery furnace. They're getting executed. But they, don't, they don't get burned. And then when they look in there, they saw four men there instead of three. There was another with them there. When the temple was built in 2 Chronicles 7, Solomon, he, he's praying. And after he's done praying, it says that fire from heaven came down and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. You see, fire was always a symbol of God's presence. And something that's really incredible here, it says that fire came and it separated. It separated and it came to rest on each of them. This fire came down to the temple where God's presence would be. You know, here in Pentecost, there's, there's a new temple that God's presence would dwell in. That God's presence would now reside within the believer. I mean, that, that this, that this is really significant that these flames, they came down and it rested on each of them. Now, fire is very symbolic. You know, not so much today, but especially in this time, fire was always a source of light. You needed fire to see where you were going at night. You needed fire to illuminate your path, to see where you should go and what direction you're going. And, and friend, like the Holy Spirit does a very similar thing. That the Holy Spirit illuminates God's truth. The Holy Spirit gives us an understanding. And secondly, fire is also a source of warmth. I know, I know a lot of you can relate to this. You know, let's say you come back to a campsite on a cold night and you sit by that fire. 
Like there's something about that fire, isn't it? The warmth it provides, the, the comfort it provides. You have this sense of calmness. You see, what these disciples are experiencing here is something that has been promised. I mean, we're going to see it next week, but it, I mean, it was promised all the way back with the prophet Joel that God would pour out his spirit. But it was also promised with John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. That's what he says. He says, I baptize you with water for, the repentant, or for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So what's happening here at Pentecost, this significance is that this fire went to the individuals. And the emphasis from this point onward is that personal relationship with God and the believer through the Holy Spirit. That Christ has broken down the barrier of sin so now God could be with his people. He'd make his residence with them. And look what happens in the very next verse. Verse 4. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So this sound fills the room that they're in. They see the tongues of fire go to the individuals and the most important gift that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, and immediately after this filling of the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So real quick, the word here for tongues in the Greek language is glossa. And it means language. So they, these disciples, they, they began to speak languages that they don't know, that they were not taught. We're going to get to what they're saying here in a minute. But we see this incredible power of the Holy Spirit that just came at Pentecost. But this was for a purpose. This, this, this served a purpose because look at what happens next in verse 5. It says, now they were staying there in Jerusalem. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So remember, it's the time of Pentecost, and, and Jews from all over gathered here in Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. A Jews from all different walks of life, that they heard this sound. And they were in bewilderment because why? They heard their own language being spoken. So something that's happening here in Acts chapter 2 is they are speaking known languages. This is not unknown languages. This is not a spiritual prayer language. This isn't you know, something that is between them and God. It is not the Holy Spirit groaning. It is not speaking mysteries in the Spirit. Those are other texts regarding this idea of tongues. And, and if you want to go explore them, I encourage you to do it. It's going to be 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, and 14. But today, I want to focus on what is happening here, that they are speaking known languages, intelligible languages that people hear, people understand. They're speaking them in their own native dialect. They're hearing it in their own language. So for an example, it would be like if the Holy Spirit, let's say, came on me and I started speaking fluent French. I don't know if anyone here speaks French because I don't, I don't speak a lick of it. But you would be like, wow, I didn't know Pastor Adam knew or grew up in France. Like, it's good French. So this is, this is exactly what's happening. The Holy Spirit has descended on them, and they begin speaking in other languages, and they are hearing, the people gathered there, they are hearing him 
in their own native language. It's an incredible thing happening here at Pentecost. And we have this massive gathering of people from all over the nations coming together in Jerusalem, encountering this. And look what happens in verse 7. It says, utterly amazed. They asked, aren't, these, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? So real quick, why is that important? Um, Galileans, they're known, like, they're known as like hicks, like um, uneducated country boys. Um, and Galileans couldn't pronounce certain things. Um, so it's like, you know, when a Galilean would start talking, everyone knew they were a Galilean. It would be like, have you ever had a conversation with someone and we're speaking English, but like they're not speaking English? <laughs> or it's like a different, you know, like you, you know, it's like, you know, someone's from Boston or uh, New York, or like uh, Louisiana. You know, you can tell like it's a different like dialect. <laughs> so same thing with Galileans is they knew as soon as people started speaking, People knew that they were Galileans. And that stigma is that they're uneducated country boys. So that's why they're like, wait, wait a second. Hold up. What's going on? We're hearing these uneducated country boys speaking in all of these different languages and different dialects. So look what happens in verse 8. And this amazed them. But in verse 8, it says, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites. Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phyra, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Crete, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. You know, the Holy Spirit will always lead you to praising God. You know, if, if, you, if you notice, notice here, it goes through people from all over the empire. It says we got, we got Arabs, we got, we got Cretans, people from the island of Crete. Uh, we have people from Egypt and, and Cyrene, so those from Africa. People from all over gathered here in Jerusalem, and, and they're hearing these disciples declare the wonders of God in their own language. Like, this isn't just the gospel being preached. This is them praising God through the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian will always guide you to reverence, to praise to God. You know, throughout the book of Acts, we're going to be exploring the, the Holy Spirit a lot and the function of the Holy Spirit because he, guide, he acts as a guide, as a teacher, as one who gives you power. And here in Acts chapter 2, the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, these disciples are declaring the wonders of God in their in other people's languages. You know, these disciples, over that 10 days before the Holy Spirit came, they were probably eager. They were probably eager to go share the news about what they have seen, about what they have heard, uh, about the event that changed the entire course of history. Yet Jesus told them to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit has come, and they are declaring the wonders of God in other people's languages. You know, look what happens in verse 12. It says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. 
So really, you have two sides here. You have two sides of people in the crowd. You have uh, some who are in amazement. They ask a genuine question. Like, what does this mean? You have others who says they were mockers, made fun of them. And they said they've had too much wine. In other words, they're saying they're already drunk. It's funny how articulate these drunk Galileans would be in another language that they don't know. Uh, they've had too much wine. You know, oftentimes people, oftentimes people can resort to ad hominem arguments. Ad hominem, it means like against the man. You know, they, they, they don't want to attack what is happening. They don't want to attack the idea, but they attack the man. And if you've been, you know, following Christ for long enough, like you've probably encountered this. People would much rather attack a Christian than attacking an argument or an idea. It is easy to, res to resort to ad hominems because someone cannot deal with an issue intellectually. And second week of the church, this is already happening. Verse 13. Thankfully, uh, Peter is going to address this here in a minute. Well, actually next week. But you see, these people, they, they attributed something that was supernatural to natural causes in a rather unconvincing way. But there were others in the crowd there that day. Others who were amazed. Others who asked the genuine question. Like, what does this mean? And as we're closing, I want to invite the worship team back up here. But there were others who, who asked a genuine question. What does this mean? And I'm grateful Peter is about to explain what this means here next week. Peter's going to get up and he's going to preach. But what does it mean? It means that the Holy Spirit brings new life. The Holy Spirit brings new life to those who have put their faith and their trust in Christ. And with that comes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That he would make his residence with the believer. Like, what does it mean? It means that the truth of the gospel will go forth from the messengers that God has chosen. And today, that's you, Christian. So coming back to this bottom line, the Holy Spirit empowers you. You know, that doesn't just mean with tongues of fire and rushing wind. You know, the events here at Pentecost, they don't happen again within the text of Scripture. But that doesn't mean that the events of Pentecost are something that's just in the past and has no bearing on our life today. See, the Holy Spirit comes to a believer, brings new life, and empowers the believer to carry out the purpose that God has for your life. So when it comes to this mission that Christ has called us to, to be his witness to the ends of the earth, friend, you're not alone. You're not alone when you go to carry it out. You are not ill-equipped. But as a Christ follower, you have another resident with you, teaching you, guiding you, empowering you. Christian, rest in the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you join me as we close in prayer? Well, Father, we are grateful for your spirit, that you would give it to us, that it would empower us. Lord, I pray that we see what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. We follow the guidance that the Spirit brings.
Lord, I pray we find power and strength as we go to carry out the mission that you have given us. Lord, we are grateful that you have given us a promise and a purpose. And Lord, I am grateful for what you have done that day at Pentecost. You poured out your spirit. Lord, I'm grateful for what you will do today. And Lord, I'm grateful for what you will do tomorrow. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.